What if we could love the way Jesus did? Passionately, faithfully, powerfully. What if the way we love could make a difference in the world around us? What if that love looked at everyone the way God does? A love which doesn't see the past, but is consumed by a desire to see people come to know Jesus. A love which is patient and kind, not envious or prideful. A love which puts others before ourselves, chooses peace over anger. A love which protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. Do we love like this? Do we love like Jesus? Maybe it's time to ask a simple question. How can we love better? Well, good morning, everybody. If we haven't met, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone, and I uh, just really appreciate Riley jumping in. Uh, we got connected with him this week. He's an Oxford kid, Grand Valley kid, and uh, we were able to uh, get him down here kind of last minute, and, and uh, I think we should have him back sometime. Uh, we'll have to get him back here for sure. Um, always, uh, always good to see uh, young guys um, jumping into ministry in some way, but... Uh, for speaking of young guys, we got some kids out here. I think uh, if you're new or newer this week, you're like, what's with all the kids running around? Well, it's just one of those days. We, we like to take a few days a year and invite all the kids to just join us in here for worship and be a part of things. And for those of you kids here, we love having you in here, right? We love hearing you make noise over there, right? We, we, we celebrate that, um, and yet we love having you in here with us. We, we need your energy. Uh, we just need uh, what you guys add to the room. So thanks for joining us today. For you parents, tons of grace. I know Kathy mentioned already you can get the, the sermon bingo thing if you want to. But if there's extra fidgeting today, it's all good. If there's extra little chatter today, it's all good. Mind your mom and dad, of course. Uh, but you're not going to hear anything from me on it. So you guys, uh, we just love having you guys in here. Um, so, I mean, speaking of young, speaking of college, I remember being in school. Kathy and I went to Cornerstone University up in Grand Rapids, and there was one class in particular that I just really didn't enjoy. Um, I, I liked it from the standpoint of, of the, the three years that Kathy and I were there together. It was the only class that we had together, so I enjoyed that aspect of it, but I really didn't enjoy the professor. Just uh, on the surface, a nice enough guy, but his, his overall vibe, his overall attitude, I just really didn't like it, um, mostly because we discovered that he embellished his stories. Now, I've been known to exaggerate a little bit. We all go there sometimes, right? The big fish that we caught, the big buck that we shot 15 years ago, right? It happens. But this guy would talk about archaeological digs that he had been uh, able to be a part of. We found out later a lot of it was made up. Um, he would talk about how he grew up and, and played college football with Tony Dorsett. But what he forgot is that it was the early 21st century, and college students had discovered this new thing called Google. And so within the period of one hour, maybe during class, someone like me could pull up the roster of every football team in the history of the world and discover that his name wasn't on any of them. And so I just kind of, I just developed a distaste for this guy in particular. Um, but my biggest issue with him came at the end of the semester where he tried to force all of the students to buy a CD with all this archaeological information, stuff on world civilizations, which is fine enough, but he charges $10 for this CD. Now, number one, I didn't want it. 
didn't care about the information that he had on there. Number two, he was making money off of us because I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember buying a stack of CDs to, to copy. They didn't, cost one, they didn't cost $10 every CD. So he's making money off of college students, now throwing all the personality things and the embellishments that I didn't like. But the biggest frustration was his lack of understanding with what $10 means to a college student. Now, it was 15, 20 years ago, and so inflation has done wonders for the value of $10. But at that point, what I was trying, and, and we had a little bit of a back and forth in class. I sat in the back because I'm a good student, and that's where the good students sit. And he actually was keeping a roster of the class and checking off the names of those who had, had purchased their CD, and my name was not getting checked off. And so he's reading these lists in class, and he's like, hey, you're going you're to come forward after class and grab this thing? I was like, no, I, I don't really want one. And so we have this exchange. In my memory, I was very respectful, no sarcasm, just good man-to-man conversation. Uh, he might have a different memory, but if you could find him on his imaginary archaeology digs. But um, we, ended up, we ended up having a, uh, a little bit more of a private conversation after class. And I'm just, I said, dude, I literally have $50 to my name. $10 is everything. And we, we kind of went back and forth a little bit. He's like, you know, I, I appreciate that. I just didn't really think about it from that perspective. And I'm thinking, yeah, of course you didn't, right? You're, you're thinking about how smart you are and how much we need more of your knowledge. And you're thinking about, well, what's, what's $10? But he's a full-time professor, an archaeologist, maybe. So what's $10 to him? He didn't bother to process the situation from a college student's perspective. And that was the issue that I had. I was, of course, frustrated, of course, annoyed at the situation. I'm sure you guys have had those moments. But I think if we're really honest, more often than not, we would probably find ourselves as the one on his side of the conversation. We find ourselves as the one where we're caught up in our agenda and our view of things. We're caught up in what we know and what we think they need to know that we know. And we get caught up in the way that we process life and how we process situations and we process news. And everyone should probably be like us because we get caught up in our experiences and we can't see past our stories to even catch a glimpse of the other person's story. And if we're really honest in the midst of that, I think all of our stories probably include moments where we've caused some pain or maybe missed an opportunity to experience some healing, all because of our inability to see what they were experiencing and what they were feeling and what they were going through. And then there's this pesky following Jesus thing, where when we look at what he has done, how he has handled different situations, we get a little bit better example. So as we head back into a new school year, I know a lot of the kids have started over the last week or so, some maybe starting on Tuesday. As we get back to a little bit more of a normal work routine during the school year, interacting with people out in the real world. I want to look at a situation where Jesus gave us uh, a little bit of a better way to handle some of these interactions. So we're going to be at John chapter 11. Uh, if you don't have your Bible or an app on you, we'll have it on the screens. John chapter 11 starts like this. It says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, and he's with his disciples, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory 
so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now that finishes a little bit goofy, but a couple things happening here. You've got Jesus, and you've got Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and these, are, these guys are friends. They have a close relationship, a, a loving friendship between the four of them. Uh, the, the three siblings probably experienced some early transformation as a result of Jesus' ministry. Certainly Mary's life had been transformed. We see her in other areas of the Gospels. There are probably some supporters, some encouragers of Jesus and his ministry, and it's very likely that their home had become a bit of a safe haven for him as he's coming and going and passing through, maybe a place to do some more relational ministry apart from the crowds and all the other things that happen. And it says that he loved them. It doesn't say that he loved them and he stayed away two more days. It says that he loved them so he stayed away two more days, which feels a little bit goofy because they clearly have a tight relationship, and yet we find out that Jesus knows what he's doing. Jesus in this story knows something that they don't know. He knows something that we don't know. And this is a situation like what we, what we go back to. We have to find some comfort in some of those moments where we don't know what God is up to. We don't know why he hasn't moved on our behalf. We don't know why he hasn't answered this particular prayer in the way that we've asked or why he hasn't uh, stepped into the life of our daughter or our, our dad or our grandparent or our friend. All these things that we wonder about. Why is this pain occurring? Why are these trials occurring? And so we go to verses like Jeremiah 29 where it says, hey, I know the plans I have for you. Right? I'm gonna, I want to prosper you. I, I mean this for good. And we go to Romans 8.28. God works out all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we, we take comfort in those things, hoping that where we can't see, God sees. Where we don't understand, God is in control, right? And so this is one of those situations where Jesus is kind of communicating that fact. But the illness plays out. If we were to read through chapter 11, Jesus delays those two days. And eventually, he pulls his disciples aside and says, hey, listen, just so you know, we're, we're not in a huge hurry because Lazarus has already died. But he says there's a purpose in all of this. So they finally head that way. It's only about a two-mile walk, 30-minute walk, and it takes them two days. So there's zero urgency here from Jesus. And the first person to meet him as he gets close is the sister, Martha. And she is distraught, right? Jesus, why the delay, right? She, she believes if you had been here, he wouldn't have died. You could have healed him. She's all in, right? She understands who Jesus is and the power that he has. She's probably seen him do similar miracles before. So she's like, if you had just been here, and then... Mary finds out that Jesus is close, and so she runs out to meet him, has a very similar conversation. And the consistent theme coming from those who were in mourning is, if you had only been here, this wouldn't have happened. And the consistent response from Jesus is, I know something you don't know. I see what you can't see. I know that these frustrations that you have, these fears that you have, these emotions that you're feeling are all temporary. And in fact, Jesus knows that in a few minutes, these emotions are going to flip 180 degrees and they're going to be feeling and experiencing something completely different than the, what they're experiencing in the moment. So Jesus knows all of that. He sees all of that ahead of time. He knows how it's going to play out and he's subtly communicating that to each of them. He knows it all, but watch what happens in the midst of it, in the midst of him knowing What's going to happen? Verse 33, he's interacting with Mary here, and it says that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. 
Come and see, Lord, they replied. In verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Remember, he knew what he was about to do. He delayed in coming on purpose because of what he was about to do. And yet, even though he knew what he was there to do and had delayed on purpose because of what he was about to do, he was troubled and he wept. Probably a few legit reasons for his emotions, different things that have been thrown out by different theologians. Maybe, maybe Jesus was frustrated at death itself, right? Remember, Jesus was there. I mean, he was the author of creation, all things made in him and by him and through him. And so he was there when everything was perfect, and he was there when sin entered the world and death became a reality. And so maybe fully God and fully man, he is experiencing this idea of death and just like, man, that's enough, right? Maybe he's frustrated at that. Maybe Maybe this is flooding back some memories of when Joseph passed away because most people believe that Joseph, and of, Joseph of Joseph and Mary had already left the scene at that point and had passed on. And so maybe memories of losing his stepdad are flooding back as he sees people mourning Lazarus. It's possible maybe he was a little frustrated at their lack of faith. I'm not so sure on that one. This, this is a group of people that were all in, right? But Lazarus and Mary and Martha, they, these were part of the inner circle. They they believed in Jesus. They had seen what he could do. And so I'm not sensing a lack of faith. So why did Jesus weep? I think that Jesus wept because he felt what they were feeling. He felt what they were feeling. It's not his own feelings of grief and loss, right? Because he knew Lazarus wasn't gone. It's not his own pain of watching someone struggle and ultimately take their last breath because he wasn't around for that part. It wasn't the shocking news of hearing that someone had passed because he knew that he was going to pass and he knew that he had passed before it was communicated to him. It's not his own feelings. It's not his own pain. He felt their pain. Even though he knew more than they knew. Even though he knew that what they were experiencing wasn't the final story. Even though he wasn't experiencing what they were experiencing, even though he wasn't specifically feeling what they were feeling, I came across this quote that, that I thought really encapsulated this moment so well. In talking about Jesus, it says, He cried. He knew Lazarus was dead before he got the news, but still, he cried. He knew Lazarus would be alive again in moments, but still, he cried. He wept because knowing the end of the story doesn't mean you can't cry at the sad parts. He felt what they were feeling. You think, okay, great, amazing story. Good to see Jesus. Good to see him experiencing that humanity that helps us knowing that he's been there and he's done that. But why does this matter? Well, it matters because you also interact with other people's feelings. And you also interact with other people's experiences and their life-changing moments that they go through. Interactions with people at work. You have these interactions with people within your own family, maybe neighbors that you've gotten close to. You have these interactions with waitresses and nurses and pharmacists and parapros. All these people that we come in contact with, you are stepping into their experiences and their feelings and their life-changing moments that may or may not be happening all around you. We have these experiences. Kids that are in the room, you have these types of interactions with students at school, teachers of yours, classmates, the ones you kind of like, the ones you kind of don't like. You have 
these interactions, emotions being felt, experiences being had, life moments being lived out right in front of us. And what's, you, what's our usual first reaction to these things, right? Or, or maybe our, our, our response to the actions that they're taking as a result of their emotions and their experiencing. A lot of times our first reaction is frustration, maybe impatience, right? Maybe our first tendency is to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to fix this. I've got a solution for you. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to say something about this. We're not going to tolerate this situation. Now, may, maybe there's a time for those practical steps to be taken, right? Hey, I've, I've been through this. I've got some ideas. I've got someone you can talk to. Maybe there's a time for that. But, but I think we get so worked up so quickly because we feel like maybe we know more than they know. Well, if you, if I, you just give me a chance to educate you on this situation, you won't be feeling what you're feeling. It won't be such a big deal to you. Maybe it's because we're not actually experiencing what they're experiencing. Maybe it's because we're not feeling what they're feeling. And as a result, their lack of knowledge is impacting my life. And what they're experiencing is negatively affecting my experience. And what they're feeling is making me feel some kind of a way that I don't want to feel. But remember, Jesus was coming to town to fix it. Jesus was coming to town to address the problem. He was going to say something. He was going to educate them on who he was and what he was capable of. He wasn't going to tolerate the issue and the emotions any longer. So he was coming with an agenda similar to what ours would be. He's going to fix it. He's going to provide a solution. He's going to provide some steps to eliminate what we're all experiencing together. And yet, in the midst of having the solution, in the midst of knowing more, seeing more, having the fix, in the midst of all that, Jesus wept. We've had uh, situations with our kids similar to uh, any, any parent where as they're growing up they have interactions with different kids and, and uh, sometimes they just get to the point where maybe you have to step in as a mom or dad. I know Talon has had a couple of those over the years. Um, and some of this story, i got to leave out some of the details because some of this will be Talon's story to tell someday. But I, I know he had one situation a few years ago where he just noticed a kid in his grade was being a bit of a bully other kids, maybe to him a little bit, just overly aggressive, maybe a little bit physical when it wasn't necessary, um, and just kind of being in the way. And we had to pull Talon aside and have a, a conversation about this intimidating kid. And then there was another kid where this kid wasn't, he wasn't a troublemaker. He was the one behind the scenes pushing other kids' buttons. He was a little bit mouthy. He would mutter things under his breath. And he was one of those kids. He would needle and needle and needle until somebody broke reacted to his needling, and then that kid would get in trouble, right? You know those types of people? They're just kind of behind the scenes, and it's always their fault, but nobody catches them. It's always the kid who reacts. Well, that had happened to a couple of kids in class, which was frustrating for our family, but then it happened to Talon, right? He, he, had, he had been the one who was getting needled and needled and needled, and he responded with a verbal gut punch to this kid. And when, I, when Kathy recounted the story to me that she had heard from Talon's teacher, it was one of those things where as a dad, I was like, oh, no way, he really said that? That's wrong. We Nope, nope, we're, nope, that is not good. That's not something that we say. Um, but again, that's, he can tell that story someday, and, and it can be funny for him. Maybe he'll be a preacher, and he can make his church laugh at his failures. But anyways, here's the thing. As parents, of course, right, we, we took some practical steps. Let, let's, let's take care. Let's have a conversation with the teacher. Let's figure out what that's going on. You're going to apologize, right? We're, this isn't going to be something that we do. You have to respond differently, of course. Uh, we had this situation with Hallie in like first or second grade. Some boy was trying to kiss her in class. I'm like, no, boy. Uh, 
Let's find your parents because this parent is going to remove your lips from your body unless we fix it. So, and so, so we're not talking about like eliminating ourselves from the practical solutions to the problem. Those things happen. There was that conversation. Hey, hey, bud, they were wrong, right? They, he has to make better choices. You can't lash out. There's some things that we can learn from this. But we also, as part of that conversation, wanted him to understand that there are realities behind the scenes sometimes. Right? And we said, hey, hey, bud, it's possible that this kid who's being a bully, this kid is overly aggressive, he's overly physical, it's possible that someone is being overly aggressive with him. There's, it's possible that there's somewhere in his life, someone in his life who's being overly physical with him and he's simply living out what he has been modeled, what he has been experiencing. Right? You come home to a safe place. It's possible maybe he doesn't go home to a safe place. And so this is kind of how he's reacting. So yeah, it's not right that he acts this way. And yet, let's, let's look beyond the surface and maybe see something that we can't see or, or feel something that he's feeling. With the, with the other kid, hey, but that, that boy you snapped at, I can't say I would have done any better, right? It, it's a tough situation, but maybe he goes home from school and sits by himself. And maybe he wakes himself up and gets ready for school by himself. Maybe he gets himself on the bus. And when he gets to school, he's desperate for that, desperate for that attention because he's getting no love and attention at home. There, there's, I don't know that that's happening, right? The, the bully isn't always getting bullied. The, the kid desperate for attention isn't always hungry for attention. But sometimes you have to look out and say, okay, is there something he's feeling that I need to understand? Is there something beneath the surface that I need to look for beyond just this kid's a jerk, or this kid's annoying, or all these types of things. Now, these things don't allow for bad behavior. And even though we might know a better way, we might know a better way to, to do school and make friends and gain affirmation, even though we're not experiencing specifically what they're experiencing, it doesn't mean we can't feel sad with him, or feel lonely with him, feel afraid with him, or feel insecure with him, or feel unsure with him about how this is all going to play out. And when we come back to Jesus and the example we see of him in the story of Lazarus before he even raises him from the dead, we find out about this thing called empathy. And this word empathy, it's a, it's a, it's a big word. It's, it's, a, it's a secular word. It applies everywhere in the world. The, the idea of empathy isn't owned and isolated in the world of church and Christianity and following Jesus. But even though it's a word that goes all over, I really believe that empathy is a Christian's birthright. Now, you're sitting there going, Justin, I got, some, I got a seven-year-old next to me, and two of those five words, he, he has no idea what you're talking about. Okay, so, so just for the kids, because I know the adults have a grasp on every word that I'm using here this morning. Not, you're all with me. But empathy, very basically, because these, I mean, we fill books with studies on words like this. Empathy is the ability to understand and share another person's feelings. Not just recognize that they are feeling something, but finding a way to feel it yourself on some level, right? We can't, can't always climb inside and experience everything, but, but the ability to understand and share another person's feelings, that's empathy. Now, what's a birthright? So this comes up quite a bit in the Old Testament. A birthright is usually referring to the right of the firstborn to inherit their family's possessions and authority. So in the Old Testament, all of... All of someone's sons would receive some inheritance when the father passed away, but the firstborn son would receive a double portion, and the father's authority within the family would pass on to that firstborn son. They became the new leader. Now, this is, it works a little bit different here in modern times, but think about some of the things that we pass down in modern times. Maybe dad's Mustang, 
right? The, the, the beautiful thing that he, he bought and kept clean and, and renovated and, and kept great for 30 plus years. Who's that go to, right? All right, well, the siblings get together. And well, you're the oldest. Maybe you get first choice, or maybe it's mom's jewelry, right? How do we decide the order at which we kind of get to pick and choose how some of this gets passed down? It, it may not even be possessions. Birthrights, that can be something like grandma's nose or grandpa's hairline, right? Those things that are just kind of family things that get passed down. And like, well, I guess I got dad's hairline, right? That's just kind of the way some of those things work. It's that, it's that trait or that personality, that, that invaluable part of a family heritage. That's our birthright. And when it comes to following Jesus, empathy is a part of that. that, that choice to put yourself in someone else's shoes for just a moment. It's something that we're called to do as followers of Jesus. And it's hard, right? You go back to school and there are kids that are difficult to get along with. There are teachers where you're like, what is her problem, right? Or his problem. There's, there's annoying guy teachers too. But, but you go to work and there's that one coworker like, what is the deal? It was great last week when he was out sick. What's going on with it? Like, it's so hard to interact with some of these people and you go and it just seems like, why is the service so bad today? What is with the attitude? What is the difficulty holding up to their end of the bargain today? And it's tough to stop for a moment because we're thinking, if you just knew what I knew, you'd get through this a little bit quicker. If you could handle this the way I would handle this, all of these emotions would go away and we can move on with what we're supposed to be doing. All of these different things and yet we're called to stop. Remember, Jesus knew the outcome. Jesus had the solution and yet even in that moment, he felt what they felt and he wept with them. Even if you know the situation doesn't require the level of emotions that you're seeing. Even if you aren't personally experiencing what they're experiencing. Even if you're not actually feeling what they're feeling. Even if you are eventually knowing that there are some healthy decisions that can be taken to get through this season, to get through this situation, we are called to show empathy. It's part of our birthright as Christians, as followers of Jesus. We can ignore it. But in doing so, we risk sacrificing that empathy in pursuit of some short-term personal solution or personal gratification. But if we'll embrace it, you just might find yourself sharing Jesus with someone who wouldn't otherwise listen. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this short time together today. And thanks for these kids. Thanks for their energy. Thanks for all of our teenagers at this church. God, we, we, we will not take that for granted. Just the energy and enthusiasm that comes with youth and and so, God, as, as we look out and think about a new school year and we think about um, where we all go to work and maybe getting back to the office after a long break or may, maybe we're just interacting with people in new contexts, new situations, maybe it's family, Lord. Pray that you'd give us a heart after Christ, even in the midst of difficult interactions, difficult situations, that we would stop ourselves short, recognize that there's maybe some emotions behind the scenes, or some experiences behind the scenes, some life-changing moments behind the scenes that maybe we need to empathize with. God, thank you for the example of Jesus who, even though he knew exactly what was going on, still stepped into the shoes of humans like us and felt what we were feeling. Thank you for a God. Thank you for a great high priest who has lived what we have lived and knows what we're going through. God, we love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick before you go, remember, we are in small group sign-up season. And so uh, if you haven't had a chance to express interest in one of our adult groups, they're uh, listed on the high top tables at the back of the room. 
You can also go to fieldstonechurch.org slash getsmall. And if you go to fill out the digital form that's on that page, it'll populate with all the different options. We'd love to follow up with you and just kind of help you get connected.